Welcome to another edition of the Live Wire House Party. I'm Luke Burbank. This week on the show, uh, we're talking about family, since uh, a lot of us are getting a lot of time with our families, which has some upsides uh, and maybe a few downsides. We're going to talk to writer Jamie Attenberg about her book, All This Could Be Yours, about a family that kind of falls apart and tries to come together in New Orleans. Plus, podcaster James Kim is going to stop by to talk about his show called Moonface, about a gay man trying to come out to his mother when they literally don't speak the same language. This is something James knows about from personal experience. You know, got to the point where I needed to come out to my mom, and I didn't know the words to say I'm gay in Korean. Plus, we have music from Federale. We have a great show in store for you. And it all gets started right after this. I'm Alex Schwartz. I'm Nomi Fry. I'm Vincent Cunningham, and this is Critics at Large, a New Yorker podcast for the culturally curious. Each week, we're going to talk about a big idea that's showing up across the cultural landscape, and we'll trace it through all the mediums we love. Books, movies, television, music, art. And I always want to talk about celebrity gossip, too. Of course. We hope you'll join us for new episodes each Thursday. Follow Critics at Large today, wherever you get podcasts. This episode of Live Wire is brought to you by Progressive. Most of you aren't just listening right now. You're driving or cleaning, even exercising. But what if you could be saving money by switching to Progressive? Drivers who save by switching save nearly $750 on average, and auto customers qualify for an average of seven discounts. Multitask right now. Quote today at Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. National average 12-month savings of $744 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2022 and May 2023. Potential savings will vary. Discounts not available in all states and situations. Hey, Elena. Luke. (laughs) What is that voice you're using? I am your father. That's Darth oh. Vader. Did that sound like? Did that sound <laughs> Have like you him? seen the movie Star Wars? No. <laughs> <laughs> it has a much more Miles Davis quality to it when you do it than in in the originals. Do you know what it's like to grow up in the 1980s and 90s with the first name Luke? Oh, it yeah. is on a and it's fine. You know there are there are much heavier burdens that people bear, but. I pr- probably not a day of my life uh, went by without someone saying, Luke, I'm your father for uh-huh. easily 20 years, which was fun. Like everyone likes to have a quick quip. Yeah. And if they meet you and your name's Luke and, you know, it gives them some kind of a fun thing to say. I was actually into it. It really didn't bother me. Yeah. I'm glad people weren't using that voice you used because that's deeply upsetting. Happy birthday. <laughs> <laughs> uh, should we uh, maybe uh, try to do the show here? Yeah, we shouldn't do this anymore. Whatever okay. this is. <laughs> Okay. How about the radio show then? Let's go for it. Uh, Molly, are are we recording? Recording we are. Oh, no. (laughs) All right. Elena, take it away. From PRX, it's Livewire. Recorded from our actual houses, welcome to the Livewire House Party. This week with author Jamie Attenberg podcaster James Kim, and music from Federale. I'm your announcer, Elena Passarello, and now, 
live and direct from a small room just off his kitchen, the host of LiveWire, Luke Burbank. Thank you very much, Elena. Yay. Thank you, everybody, for tuning in. Um, we have a really great show in store for you this week. Elena, are you enjoying this uh, Zoom background that I have projected of this beautiful... Yes. Like, this is like the mid-century library of my dreams. Yes, I love the low-slung orange L-shaped couch. It looks like I just want to have a fondue party, you know? Yeah, I like- know that a lot has been said about Zoom backgrounds, but I realized that I basically live in this little room off my kitchen now for like doing our radio show and all other kinds of work things. Mm-hmm. And it was getting very cluttered in here, and I realized I could either start cleaning it more regularly or I could hang a green sheet behind me and just project anything I want. And I went with door number two. Um, What we're actually talking about this week on the show is family. Our guests uh, have each created projects, one a book and one a podcast, that are really about family dynamics, which, of course, can be uh, complicated at times, uh, particularly when... You're all trapped at home during a pandemic. Uh, We asked the audience a question this week. Besides Zoom calls and homeschooling, because we figured that's just happening a ton anyway. Besides Zoom calls and homeschooling, how are you staying in touch with your family? And folks sent in a bunch of answers. We're going to read some of those throughout the show. First, though, uh, Elena, how are you uh, staying in touch with your family? Through... Phone calls and Zoom, really. We don't really? do anything else. Although I will say our Zoom game has gotten like cooler. Okay. So David, uh, he had a birthday a couple months ago. It was a zero birthday. So a big deal. Stuck in pandemic. It was when we were still in super lockdown. And my kid brother, Matt Passarello, mm. uh, grocery delivered. You know, you can order groceries yeah. to have delivered. Mm-hmm. Uh, it showed up at our door. It was a box that had like an apricot and an orange and some cinnamon sticks and jalapeno and some weird spread. And then we Zoom called with him and his partner and my father and my stepmother. And we did like a top chef or like chopped kind yes. of thing with cocktails. So we had to only use, we could use anything we wanted, but we had to use like two or three of the ingredients. And then we all ran around and made cocktails. And I, we kind of had to judge them ourselves. Um, David beat me, but. Well, he is a, a professional mixologist among other things. So True. I mean, that was a brave move by your brother. That's great. I love yeah. that idea of kind of a participatory thing. I've heard of other people doing that. Um, the way I've been staying in touch with my family uh, has been a little bit less creative. It's just this radio show, which they've actually started listening to finally. <laughs> like, I don't know what happened, uh, but being trapped at home, they all just like their Saturday afternoons really opened up. And now it's like, if I say something that's a little dicey, which I commonly do on this show, I now hear about it. Okay. So I want to correct my answer. That is another way that we are definitely <laughs> staying in touch. And just this past Sunday, when I called my mom, she got mad at me. <laughs> Because I mentioned something on the radio show that I had already told her in real life. And she was like, rerun. Because so, <laughs> I told her on the phone about grilling watermelon. And then I mentioned grilling watermelon on the radio show. And she, she didn't like that repeat content. If they listen to the radio show and then talk to us, they start to really question if, if you're we're just recycling content or <laughs> workshopping stuff. Um, it's working, though. I feel very close to my family right now, now that they've started listening to my radio show. Well, there you go. So that's good. What's the audience saying uh, are some ways that they're staying in touch with their families? Here's one from Susie. We are handwriting letters to each other in cursive. Wow. Have you done this? Have you done any any letter writing since 
No, no, and I, you know, when, like a lot of people, when we went into this thing, I really expected to become a better, more intentional person. What with all the time, and I, I really thought I'm going to start handwriting letters. But the way that I approach stuff like this is, I don't just write someone a nice note saying, you know, hey, I love and appreciate you. I have to get the right letterhead. Oh my! And I wanted to get like stationery from like a cool old hotel. <laughs> To write on. <laughs> then I went down this rabbit hole on TikTok about embossing things. You know, you uh, can buy a custom embosser. Those are cool. So then I was like, well, until I have a custom embosser, it's not even <laughs> worth writing letters to people. <laughs> so I've written zero letters, but I know a lot about embossers. <laughs> nice. I have a pen pal one, and he and I decided to keep in touch via cursive letters. Just He just became my pen pal during the pandemic, and his handwriting is completely illegible. So I have like six letters from him, and I have no idea what he's saying in any of them. I think he's talking about the TV show Normal People for some of it, <laughs> but he could be talking about Norman Mailer. I don't know. It's, it's hard to tell. Yeah. Uh, what else is the audience saying? Okay. Here's one from Tanya. Socially distanced, small get-togethers with my family, brother, sister-in-law, mom, dad, in the front yard. My mom and I hugged for the first time in months while wearing masks, and it actually made me cry, but in mm. a good way. Aww. You can absolutely do that. I, uh, My daughter came and visited recently when it was legally uh, allowed, and we hugged with masks, and it was an intense emotional uh, experience. Huh. You know, you, you forget something as simple as hugging. Uh, it doesn't seem like that big of a deal, but when you haven't done it in a long time, particularly to people that you love, it's like it oh, yeah. brings up a lot of stuff. Especially when it's your kid. Are you yeah. guys seeing each other very often? Well, yeah, we hang out, but we 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 do a lot of the socially distancing stuff. So we'll meet somewhere, you know, outside and walk around. Mm-hmm. I honestly don't know why I even needed to go in anyone's house. Know. You know, it's summertime. <laughs> I go. I I see people. We I just show up with my own chair, sit yeah. in their yard. Yeah, yard parties. Yeah, it's actually fine. I mean, it just makes sure you go to the bathroom before you go over. <laughs> you don't need the house for anything other than that. Let's invite our first guest over to the house party. Uh, he is the creator of a fictional podcast, which is actually based on a lot of the real elements of his life. The show is called Moonface. It's really kind of unlike any podcast that, that I've heard before. Mm-hmm. Um, and I listen to podcasts from like sun up until sundown <laughs> because I cannot be alone with my feelings. So like I have a lot of uh, background data for this. And I have to say this show Moonface is really different than yeah. anything else I've heard. Uh, let's take a listen to this. It's a conversation we had with James Kim. We recorded this back in November of 2019 at the Alberta Rose Theater. James, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. Uh, this podcast, yours, Moonface, is really incredible. How did you get the idea for it? Yeah, I um, I used to work in a uh, entertainment show uh, for public radio, and I did a lot of interviews with a lot of celebrities who are minorities. I was just ended up being that guy interviewing <laughs> those people. Uh, I wonder why. And um, you know, with every single interview, everybody was telling me how difficult it was to get their story told um, and how everyone was saying, no, they can't relate to these stories. And here I saw podcasting, especially fiction podcasts, like as an outlet to tell these stories from marginalized communities and really kind of um, produce it in a way that's independent and it's cheap. You could set it on the moon. You could set it in a classroom. You could set it here in this theater and it'd be the same budget. So I kind of was really inspired by the idea that there was just really not a lot of stories about Asian Americans and I just wanted to do something for uh, the Asian American community. Um, 
one of the really interesting elements of Moonface is, okay, so it's the story of this guy, Paul. Yeah. And he is trying to figure out how to come out to his mother, who's Korean-American. Um, but she doesn't speak uh, a lot of English, and he doesn't speak a lot of Korean. And that creates uh, a, a, some real challenges. Yeah. Now, you are Korean-American gay man whose mother, I understand, does not speak a lot of English, and you do not speak a lot of <laughs> Korean. Are these in any way related? <laughs> no, totally not. No. Okay. Um, On to uh, my next question. Yeah, exactly. No, but I, I guess here, yeah, yeah, my, yeah. my first question about this is really um, kind of practical, uh, which is how did this develop that you and your mom don't really share the same language? Yeah, when I was growing up, I, uh, I spoke Korean fluently, apparently. There's even, like, a home video that my parents would show me and be like, look how good you used to sound. Oh, and, like, man. shame me a bit, which kind of sucked. <laughs> um, and, um, you know, growing up, they really wanted me to assimilate. And so uh, they stopped taking me to Korean classes and just basically were like, just learn English, and eventually you'll, you'll learn the language um, back again. And that never happened. Um, and so it caused this kind of tear in our relationship where I don't really speak to my mom. Um, you know, it's all surface level. It's about like, you know, how's your day going? Or does this food taste good? And then that's completely it. Um, so yeah, it, it was something where, you know, I used to speak it well. And then, um, you know, got to the point where I needed to come out to my mom. And I didn't know how to do it because I didn't know the words to say I'm gay in Korean. And yeah, but in the end, I just kind of just like, I'm gay. And she kind of got exactly what I was saying. Like, I'm sure she's walked in on me watching porn and she saw what was on the screen. So, And that really is, yeah. let's be honest, the you international know. language. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, yeah, but, uh, but yeah, everything is good now. I mean, I, I'm learning Korean and she's trying to learn English and, and we're trying to get our relationship back on track. Uh, one of the things that you did with this show, though, by the way, we're talking to James Kim, this podcast is called Moonface, um, is the the mother character speaks Korean, and it's not translated. What were you hoping to accomplish with that? Yeah, I really wanted the audience and the listeners to experience exactly what the main character was feeling um, at the time, and to do that and to not have any translation I thought was the best way to do it, If especially putting everyone on his shoes when she's saying stuff and he's completely confused. It really makes the audience relate to that character. Um, so I, and, and two, I just, uh, I didn't want any narration either. I didn't want to over-explain because that's like a big issue in public radio. I've been in public <laughs> radio all my life and there's so much over-explanation and I, I didn't want any of that. I wanted this to be subtle and ultimately I wanted it to be like an awkward, honest kind of experience. Yeah, that's one thing that I noticed when I was listening to it. My ear is so trained to listen to podcasts to have them be very wordy, right? Yeah. And it's so quiet in a way. There, there are these moments of great silence. If people are going to walk to the door, you just you don't even hear sometimes footsteps. There's just these wonderful sort of pauses, and or they go to dance, and you don't you don't really hear that much. Was that a reactive goal, just to like not just to take the narration out, but to make it as quiet? as possible? Yeah, some of my favorite um, films and media and television shows are when they have these long, long, long pauses. Um, it's a weird example, but it's a movie called It Follows, mm -hmm. and it's oh, a yeah. horror movie. It's so incredible, but there's not a lot of dialogue in the movie, and they build these atmospheric, emotional moments just by using sound design, and so I kind of want to mimic that. Like, uh -huh. I, I really wanted to make a fiction podcast that was utilizing audio to the fullest, so it's crazy that you, like, 
caught all those silences because in when we recorded the actors, like they were just going through the lines like crazy. So in post-production, it was just like we we had some moments where it was like 15, 20 seconds of silence. And the sound designer I was working with, he was like, you're absolutely insane. I was like, no, 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 this is going to be brilliant. And um, <laughs> and I'm going to, I don't know, maybe it paid off, who knows? <laughs> I was listening to a lot of this while I was driving. And I would find myself just kind of like almost lost in my own thoughts in the moments yeah. between what the characters are doing on Moonface. Yeah. It's like white space on the page or something. Yeah. Like it's just this this moment where you kind of check in with yourself as a participant in the storytelling. Yeah. And I've always noticed too exactly. Like I've I've noticed when I'm listening to something and uh, there's a lot of talking or there's like a lot like if like a radio lab episode, there's just like a lot of things happening. And um, like I've noticed any time that they use silence, all of a sudden you're really paying attention. Yeah. And whatever happens before and after that silence, it's like you're, you're holding on to those words, those sounds or whatever's happening. So I just wanted to have as many of those moments where it's like there's so much silence in there that you're always constantly actively listening. This is Livewire from PRX. I'm Luke Burbank with Elena Passarello. Uh, we're talking to podcaster James Kim. His show is Moonface. We got to take a quick break, but don't go anywhere because we will be right back. Hey, Elena. Hey, Luke. I didn't see you there. It's that time of year again. My seasonal allergies are back. Oh, congratulations. But also, it's our spring member drive, which is happening right now through May 17th. Oh, I like that much more than seasonal allergies. Yeah, if you are not yet a member of LiveWire's League of Extraordinary Listeners, well, now is the time to do it. Why? Well, because this League of Extraordinary Listeners uh, is what keeps the lights on over at LiveWire Inc., uh, which is definitely not the association that we are part of. I'm probably a 501c3. They don't let me near any of the paperwork mm -hmm. or bookkeeping, and it's really better that way. Yes. Point is, we... We are only able to keep doing this show because of support from our members, and we would love it if you could join us in that right now. Plus, there are all kinds of sweet perks, including uh, special discounted tickets to live recordings, on-air shout-outs, exclusive content. Uh, and, Elena, uh, one more thing, that, of course, we would not be a self-respecting public radio show if we didn't offer this. If we didn't offer the most iconic public radio swag of all time, a tote bag. True iconic status. Yeah, but it's not just any tote bag. This is like a really good tote bag. It's got a second zipper, an internal zipper. Yes, whatever you want to put in the tote bag, that's your business, okay? What we're <laughs> here to talk about is you keeping LiveWire going. So head on over to LiveWireRadio.org to see the various member levels. It does not matter how much you are giving every month to LiveWire. It just matters that you do it because it goes a long way for us. So thank you. Vacations, weddings, birthdays, and reunions. Oh, my, there's so much going on. Get the most out of your spring plans by stocking up on pre-alcohol now. Zbiotics Pre-Alcohol Probiotic Drink is the world's first genetically engineered probiotic. It was invented by PhD scientists to tackle rough mornings after drinking. Here's how it works. When you drink, alcohol gets converted into a toxic byproduct in the gut. It's this byproduct, not dehydration, that's to blame for your rough next day. Zbiotics produces an enzyme to break this byproduct down. Just remember to make Zbiotics your first drink of the night, drink responsibly, and you'll feel your best tomorrow. Go to zbiotics.com/livewire to get 15% off your first order when you use livewire at checkout. 
ZBiotics is backed with 100% money-back guarantee, so if you're unsatisfied for any reason, they'll refund your money, no questions asked. Remember to head to zbiotics.com slash livewire and use the code livewire at checkout for 15% off. Thank you to ZBiotics for sponsoring this episode and our good times. Welcome back to the Livewire House Party. I'm Luke Burbank here with Elena Passarello. Does it stress you out, Elena, to know that our families are listening to the show more closely during the pandemic? Um, a little bit more, yeah, especially because there's not an audience in front of us. So really the only audience that I can picture right now is like my mom. Yeah. <laughs> Never a great thing for creativity, I would think. No, when I was an actor, one time my mom came to see me in a play where I had a big part and it was in a little small theater. And at one point I, my gaze like went out to where she was sitting in the audience and she was, she was pumping her hands and going, slow down slow down. I was like 26 years old, like equity actor. And she was like, oh my like, like conducting me from the wings. So did or, you slow down? Probably. Uh, Okay, let's pick up our conversation that that we've been having with podcaster James Kim. Uh, We recorded this back in February 2019. We were talking about his podcast, which is called Moonface and is really incredible. Uh, Take a listen to this. One of the uh, things that is discussed uh, in the podcast is this Korean term Han. Can you kind of explain what that is and, and what role it plays in, the, in Moonface? Yeah, I discovered this term a couple years ago, and it was an article. I don't remember who wrote it, but it was titled Kimchi Rage. And I was like, whoa, that's racist. And then when I was reading it, um, I was like, oh, no, like I totally understand this. And, and it, you know, it was written by a Korean person, too. So I was like, all right. But... Um, <laughs> It's, it's this thing where, um, you know, South Koreans have been through a lot. They've been through Japanese colonization and they've been through, you know, w- what happened with the DMZ and especially what's happening now in North Korea, that they've internalized a lot of these emotions and they, they kind of believe that these emotions that they haven't let out, this anger, this depression, this sadness has been passed down through generation to generation and has caused this... I don't know, like a really bubbling emotion that they can't control. And then all of a sudden it would just burst. Um, So like someone showed me like there's like a video, uh, a YouTube video of like two Korean people who who were in traffic and one of them gets out of their car, starts screaming. The other one gets out of the car, starts screaming and they get into a fist fight. And like that's kimchi rage. It's like when they take an ordinary scenario that can be de-escalated just by words that that it just escalates really quickly. And um, and it, it all stems from this idea that that Koreans haven't had an outlet to let all these emotions out. It's something that I feel like a lot of like second generation Koreans like me have been we've been more open about discussing our feelings. Like my my parents' generation, they do not talk about their feelings at all. I remember when I was a little kid, uh, my dad came up to me, something happened in my family and it must've been bad because he came to me and he was like, don't ever tell anybody about this. You always keep this drama in the family, just keep it to yourself. And, you know, now growing up with... Uh, Boy, did you ever not do that. I, <laughs> I just laid Like you literally there. are broadcasting. Just, yeah, <laughs> every single thing, yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, exactly. Like things like making this podcast and seeing other people like Andrew On, he's a film director um, based in L.A. and did a, 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 a story about a Korean-American coming out to his parents too and seeing a lot of these Korean Americans like talking about their feelings and making art about their feelings I feel like that's been kind of a a counter movement to what our parents generations has been which is like shut down completely 
Has your mom heard the podcast? No, she has not. She actually doesn't even know what I do. I even remember when I got like a new job in podcasting, she's like, I don't know what that is, but great. Yeah. So yeah, she totally, she has no idea what a podcast is and like, I'm going to keep it that way. There's so many things that uh, are super personal. I mean, you both heard it and it starts at a sex club and I would rather not have my mom listen to a character based on me having an orgasm. Kind of weird. <laughs> yeah, I think that's the right call. Yeah, right. <laughs> 100%. All right, James, I feel even though Moonface is fictionalized, uh, if, if folks listen to it, they learn a lot about you, as we've established. Uh, but we want the Livewire audience to get a better sense of kind of what makes you tick. And so to that end, uh, here on stage, we've got a physical jar on the desk. It has the five essential questions of our time in it. We call this exercise the jar of truth. Here's how this is going to work. Oh, man. Uh, James will have you pull a question at random from the Jar of Truth. Elena Passarella will read you the question, and then we'd like to get your uh, truthful answer to one of the five essential questions of our time. Man, can I just do a dare instead? <laughs> <laughs> okay. If you look great and your friend looks terrible, is it ethical to post the photo online? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Uh, that's the <laughs> That's on them. That's their fault. I'm really? Sorry. Oh, yeah, totally. If you're looking good and it's just like, I don't know. I've had that done to me before and I just didn't care. And I'm just huh. like, you know what? I'm just going to. And then I ended up doing it to someone else and um, they're mad about it. But I was just like, too bad. Sorry. I don't know if that's. Yeah. I feel like I'm learning something here uh, from you, James. Uh, let's do another question. All right. Can you refer to multiple people as your best friend? <laughs> this sucks that I have to answer this one uh, because my my um, best friends don't know that there's multiple best friends in my circle. <laughs> Whoa! <laughs> and um, yeah, I guess they do now. But uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, I uh, yeah I have like about four or five best friends. Um, I think it's cool, but I guess it's all. Um, I, I don't know if my other best friends have other best friends. Do you tell them though? Because I have uh, probably a couple people in my life who I would depending on the day, consider my best friend, but I don't think I've ever said to them, you are my best friend. Really? Like, yeah. You never told anyone that, that, that you know, they're there. I mean, not since like seventh grade. Oh, is this, oh. <laughs> but I don't, I'm not, I don't think there's anything juvenile about it. I think there's something in me that feels like that's too intense to say to one of my friends. Maybe it's too much pressure or maybe I don't want to be locked into that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but you actually yeah. tell your yeah. like friends, hey, you're my best friend. Yeah, I feel like I'm like uh, polyamorous when it comes to best friends. You know, <laughs> like multiple best friends. Because best friend indicates it's a superlative that that's the one best friend yeah i feel like that's the same with like monogamy right it's like if you believe in monogamy then it's like that one true love and and, and i just don't so i feel like yeah I, I think it's totally okay about having multiple best friends you can make that deep connection with multiple people well james now uh we have your mom who you don't want to hear the podcast and your four to eight best friends who <laughs> you don't want to hear this radio broadcast you got a lot of secrets brother a lot yeah. of secrets yeah. james kim everybody the podcast is Moonface. That was James Kim, recorded back in 2019, talking about his podcast, Moonface. 
All right, more Livewire coming up in a moment. This is the Livewire House Party. I'm Luke Burbank here with Elena Passarello. Uh, Each week, we like to ask the listeners a question. And because we're talking about family a lot on the show this week, uh, we asked, besides Zoom calls and homeschooling, because those are so, like, just ubiquitous in everyone's lives these days. Besides Zoom calls and homeschooling, how are you staying in touch with your family? What are the creative ways that you're interacting with your loved ones? Uh, What are some of the answers that the Livewire audience gave, Elena? Okay, we got this one from Amber. I text with my nephew and my sister gives him her phone, but Mm. he's six, so he's just sending me a bunch of emojis, but it still makes my day. (laughs) (laughs) I have a friend who's in a, a sort of texting relationship like that with a kid who gets a hold of their parents' phone, but the kid is so young, all they know how to write is their name. <laughs> so my friend will just get a series of texts from her friend's phone with the kid's name. That's just the kid trying to reach out and make contact. Oh, it's like the uh, Hodor of... <laughs> <laughs> oh, Hodor. We could, we could use all Hodor at a time like this. Yeah. Um, all right, what else? Oh, here's one from Jessica. My mom, aunt, cousins, and I have started a virtual book club. My aunt Mm. somehow never manages to finish the book, even though this was her idea. But hey, (laughs) it's something. (laughs) I'm going to do that. I want to start a virtual book club. Really? You want to do it with me? I mean, I I'm, honestly, I embody the spirit of that aunt who won't finish the books. <laughs> but I, I appreciate her game because I'm the person who will come up with the idea, mm-hmm. but then not follow through. Like, hey, we should do this elaborate project. And then I'll be the only one who doesn't actually fulfill my part of the of the project. But you're the instigator. You're the connector. You're the, the, the flint. Okay. Well, speaking of book clubs, uh, if you were going to set up a virtual book club, do you have a book you would recommend? You're always reading. Yeah. Uh, I just read this amazing book called Tomboy Land by this woman named Melissa Falavino. And it's this collection of essays on growing up in the Midwest. And so, but she looks at the Midwest in all these different ways. She looks at tornadoes and sports fandom and um, like kinky things that happen in the Midwest, like places for, you know, kinky behavior. And she, it's just really smart and really fun. Uh, It's it's awesome. And I would love to get a bunch of my Midwestern friends together because I'm not a Midwesterner and do a book club with them and um, sort of compare notes. So uh, Tomboy Land by Melissa Falaveno. How about you? Uh, I have been really just still trying to work my way through about 400 back issues of the New Yorker. (laughs) Like, you know, that, you know, that pile of New Yorkers that we all had and then the pandemic started and I looked at them and I was like, let's dance. (gasps) And I'm actually making okay progress. I mean, that's not anything to brag about, but, but I have to say I've been pleasantly surprised that there are articles from five years ago that I still find, you know, totally interesting. No, I think, I think this is a killer idea rather than a book. Let's like make use of this stack, this ubiquitous stack that everybody has. But of course, if you got, came up with that idea, then you wouldn't have to read any of the essays because that's the way, the person that you are in the book club. You just come up yes. with the ideas and yes. And then let everyone else tell me what was in the article and if it was worth investing my time. <laughs> uh, okay. One more. Here is one from uh, Cass. Cass has, aside from Zoom calls, uh, Cass has been, quote, chatting with my sister after the all-family Zoom session so we can (gasps) gossip about the rest of our family. (laughs) 
That is a real thing. Like um, breakout Zoom sessions that are adjacent to the main room oh. so that you can – I've noticed this on on various calls where people – sometimes there will be text chains yes. that open up. Where you can text about kind of like your real feelings about whatever's happening on the, the big screen. A lot of times that's work related. Yes, I've been on one of those where your phone is going crazy and you're trying <laughs> you're trying not to like look yeah. like you're looking at your phone. So you're you're trying to keep your eyes up, but you're texting like barf emojis to your <laughs> to Yeah. Your text when chain. we have a family Zoom call, whoever doesn't show up just gets roasted the entire <laughs> Zoom call. Hey, uh, speaking of families. This is the Live Warehouse Party, and we have a guest coming up who thinks about family a lot. So much so, Elena, that Kirkus actually called her the Poet Laureate of Difficult Families. Oh, yeah. Which... <laughs> Accurate. <laughs> yeah. Uh, she's the author of six books, including the bestsellers The Middlesteens and All Grown Up. Uh, she stopped by the Alberta Rose Theater back in November of 2019 to talk about her latest book, All This Could Be Yours. Uh, take a listen to this. It's our chat with Jamie Attenberg uh, right here on the Live Warehouse Party. Hi, Jamie. Welcome to the show. Hi. How's it going? For people that haven't had a chance to read the book, can you kind of lay out the, the sort of broad strokes of the story? Yeah, so it's set in New Orleans, um, and in the first couple of pages, Victor Tuckman, who is a bad, rich man, who's bad in all the bad, rich man ways, um, he has a heart attack, and then he's just in a coma for the rest of the book. That's uh, just a lot of wishful thinking here, just put all the bad men into comas. Um, <laughs> I was going to say, it's like, yeah. <laughs> he's a shady real estate guy from New York, He's got some sex scandals going on. Yeah. I don't know who that reminds me of. Well, unfortunately, like lots of people. So I didn't yeah. really have to pick just one. Um, and he is his own character. But I, about two pages was really all I could spend in his mindset. And then I was really just interested in his family and, and kind of the, the legacy of this kind of toxic behavior and what happens to them and, and, and how they can work through it generationally and, then, and, and hopefully move somewhere better in their lives. I have to say that, sadly, even though Victor is, is only kind of conscious for a very short amount of this book, I could identify with a lot of the stuff he was doing. Is that I true? I like gambling. Yeah. I like alcohol. That's, he's only there for two pages, but he lives a real life. Yeah. Loses $1,000 gambling, tries to drink some spoiled scotch. Smokes a cigar. Gets yelled at by the people that live downstairs from him. Right. Yeah. I mean, he really packs a lot into those he's two bad, pages. He's, bad, he's kind of bad news, for sure. And he's bad news throughout the book, too. Yeah, were you tempted to redeem him in some no, way? I mean, I want... I, I mean, I approach all my books with the idea that I'm going to try to be compassionate. I either like my characters at the beginning of the book and then I figure out what their flaws are or I dislike them and then I write my way to understanding them. And I really try to do that with all of my characters, all the time. And with him, I could not do it. I could not figure out a way to redeem him. And I didn't care. I was like, wait, I don't actually have to. Why? And I feel like that's something we do all the time as we turn these kinds of men into anti-heroes. And I don't, I'm over it. I don't care anymore. Mm -hmm. Was that cathartic? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I don't know if it's cathartic, but it, was, it felt necessary. I, I read somewhere you said that the characters that kvetch the loudest are the ones that you become interested in right yeah. away? Like, what is, how does that manifest? Are these, like, characters in a book you're working on just 
in your head making noise, and whichever one is making the most noise is who, the one you gravitate towards? They're the ones that are showing me the world, right? So in this, in this instance, the sixth chapter of the book was the beginning of the book for a really long time, and it was Victor's daughter. I, ha- I saw a woman. I heard a woman in my head, and she was sitting on the roof of a hotel. She was visiting a town, and her father was in a coma, and she didn't like her father, and her mother was kind of the keeper of all these secrets. And I knew all of that within two or three paragraphs. I just heard her talking and she was, her gaze was showing me this universe. And so I, and I was, and I was like, all right, I want to spend time with all these characters. And I knew that I didn't want to just trust her opinion. I wanted to get to know them all. So you get to meet lots of characters in this book. I'm always interested in this from people who, who write fiction, but it's like these characters, they just sort of reveal themselves to you. It's like they have a life of their own and they're just doing their thing and you're just observing it, even though your brain is the one actually creating the stuff? Yeah. I mean, I, we, look, it's very busy in my brain. There's a lot (laughs) going on up here. By the end of a book, I really want, you know, I, when I have almost all of a book done, I have lots of characters that I'm like just living with in my head. And then when I finish a book, people always want to know how you know when it's done. And I really just go from character to character and make sure they've said everything they have to say. And then, but, and then I'll maybe add in another chapter and let another character show up. But I do live in harmony with these, with these characters. <laughs> we are, we're together, yeah. So much of your work is family-oriented. What do you think it is about the way that you process fiction or approach writing that makes you particularly adept at writing the family? I'm, I mean, I do find families really interesting. I love hearing other people's family stories. I grew up in a, in a gossipy kind of household where people were always telling stories about each other. I think that, um, I, th- I think that families are really juicy material. I mean, if I, I have written some books where it's about, uh, uh, relationships, families of, you know, friends that you, that you choose, but the fascinating thing about families is you can't choose any of these people. So they've just become really rich territory. It just makes it really easy to write about America too, because that you can have all different kinds of Right. Opinions and, and politics and ethics and things like that because everyone's just sort of thrown together in this family. Right. And then they marry somebody and they become a part of the family and they have a wildly different experience. But now that's a part of Thanksgiving, too. Yeah. Or right. something like that. And I don't know. And families are just really messed up. Sometimes people ask me why I can't just write about a family that gets along. And I was like, because that's just like one sentence. Like they yeah. all got along and then <laughs> yeah. it's over. Uh, we're talking to Jamie Attenberg. Uh, her new book is All This Could Be Yours. We're talking about family. And this family is really dysfunctional and in a lot of ways really don't like each other. Um, what's your family like? You said gossipy, but I mean, did you like, did you kind of invent these people out of whole cloth yeah. or is there elements of your real life? No, they were, I mean, they were just there like, I mean, I, I have, you know, seven books of characters that I, that have just sort of shown up. And, um, and obviously we as writers, you know, we eavesdrop, we observe, we, the whole, you know, the whole world is really ours for the taking. And then we kind of turn it around in a million ways and it shows up. My parents live in Florida. They've been married for 50 years. They're lovely people. My mom plays pickleball. Huh. Um, and, uh, and they're like, they're really, they're just like really nice people. They owned a sewing store when I was growing up. My dad was also a traveling salesman and they're pretty chill and so they love me. They're supportive. How do you know that you're getting a character right then? like one of the characters from this book, when they have a totally different experience than you and they're wired differently and their family experience has been so different? I, don't, I mean, I just think I know what I'm doing. Like, I think I'm good at my job and I'm, a, and I'm an observer and I, and I, you know, so you do have readers, you do have people, other writers who will read your work for you and tell you if it's working or not working. But I've been doing this for 14 years. So 
No one has ever said to me, stop. <laughs> <laughs> this is Livewire from PRX. I'm your host, Luke Burbank, here with Elena Passarello. We are at the Alberta Rose Theater in Portland, Oregon, talking to writer Jamie Attenberg. Her latest book is All This Could Be Yours. It's the story of the Tuckman family, the, the patriarch uh, is is basically about to die throughout the course of the book, and everybody comes back together, and nobody really likes him that much. And uh, the crux of this book is really what happens when somebody dies who nobody likes, or very few people like. And you still have to grieve them, right? I was wondering, like, yeah, what is the what's the the plan for something like that? Because I think it happen that happens more than people admit in real life. Uh, I mean, it's been really interesting to have this book out in the world and to have people say, this, is, this reminds me of a family member, this reminds me of a dad or an uncle or something like that. I mean, I am interested in that idea of how we don't get to control the grief that we have and we don't get, and when someone goes, it's like you just kind of have to go through whatever process you have to go through um, to get there. And, uh, and each character kind of experiences it differently. Like Alex, who's the daughter, she really has, she has like a big confrontational scene at his bedside where she's you know, talking through how all the things that she felt like he did, he had, how he had wronged her. And then there's Gary, who's her brother, and he's just sitting in an Airbnb in Los Angeles getting stoned and missing all the flights home. And I feel like that's who I would be, yeah. is like the person who keeps missing the flights home and not wanting to deal with it. But he's still dealing with it in his way. He's still trying to process his feelings in a way. Other than, uh, I guess, being entertained uh, or intrigued, what are you hoping people take away from this book? I mean, I just, it, there's so many entry points. There's so many, I just want people to think about it and talk about it. I just want to be a part of the conversation that's going on right now. And I want people to think about their families a little bit more and, and be forgiving where they need to be, but also to kind of call people on their crap when you need to call them on their crap. Because I think that we put up with a lot of stuff and actually it might be really good for everybody if we just say at that Thanksgiving dinner, this is an unacceptable behavior and, and we kind of need to move on. To me, the patriarchy is is fascinating because it is both fully functional and totally broken at the same time. And, but it's only fully functional for some people and it's really broken for a lot of people. So, I, I mean, this is about claiming it, noticing it, analyzing it, but also just moving the hell on. Uh, we're talking to Jamie Attenberg. This is Livewire Radio. Her new book is All This Could Be Yours. Jamie, uh, you created something called the 1,000 Words of Summer Project, uh, where I guess you send out emails encouraging other writers to write 1,000 words a day for 10 days in the middle of the summer. That's right. This is uh, a great idea. We salute your dedication to word count. <laughs> okay, but we wanted to see how good you are with literature by the numbers uh, with a little exercise that we call... Let's get quizzical. Let's get quizzical, quizzical. I want to get quizzical. Let's see if you know your stuff. Livewire house band, ladies and gentlemen. So, Jamie, these are all questions about word count. And yes, this might be the most public radio game ever. <laughs> Deal with it, America. Wow. Okay. This is nerdy as hell, man. <laughs> Which has the higher word count, the Declaration of Independence or the Wikipedia entry for the restaurant chain Popeyes? I'm going to say Popeyes. You're absolutely right. 
It has 1,427 words, whereas the Declaration of Independence has 1,337 words. Here's the thing. Popeye's was actually trailing the Declaration of Independence before it launched its new chicken sandwich, which added 310 words to the Wikipedia entry. And I do believe... One Elena Passarello had one of those today. Yeah, hours ago. And you didn't even know we were talking about it on the show. Nope. That was just kismet. Was yeah. it your first one? It was my first one. I had one too. Did you go spicy? I yeah. I mean, I was in New Orleans, so yeah, we go spicy. Yeah, you there. gotta go spicy. Yeah. Oh, you had oh, you had Popeye's chicken in Louisiana. Yeah. Oh, interesting. Yes. I mean, yeah. a real triumph. <laughs> <laughs> All right. How about this? Which has a higher word count? The 1848 translation of Karl Marx's Communist Manifesto. Or the Wikipedia entry for Karl Marx's Communist Manifesto. I'm going to go with the manifesto. You're absolutely right. You are good at this game. Do you study word count? Is that part of your thing? Finally a skill that I have. Yes. You're really good at this. The Communist Manifesto has 17,571 words. The uh, Wikipedia entry is a paltry 3,897. I'm actually surprised it's that low. I just feel like you get people going online. Uh, how about this? Which has a higher word count, The Raven by Edgar Allan Poe or the pilot episode of the TV show That's So Raven? <laughs> which was titled Test of Friendship. I think it would be That's So Raven. I think you would be so right, Jamie. That is so Jamie. The That's So Raven pilot episode Test of Friendship has 2,427 words in it. The Raven, on the other hand, is 1,091 words. The Baltimore Ravens football team is named for the poem, The Raven, by Edgar Allan Poe, Baltimore resident. How about this one? Which has a higher word count, Jamie Attenberg? The original 19th century lyrics to the Star Spangled Banner or Led Zeppelin's Stairway to Heaven? I think the Star Spangled Banner. Oh, you're so... This is very close. It's actually Stairway to Heaven if you count ooze, (laughs) which there are almost none of in the Star Spangled Banner. (laughs) It's not ooze, say, can you see? Nope, turns out it's not. This, though, is actually the wildest detail from this question. Uh, Robert Plant, of course, famously of Led Zeppelin, once gave... $10,000 to listener-supported radio station KBOO here in Portland, Oregon during a pledge drive. They've they've been living off that $10,000 for the last 15 years. This really happened. Uh, The disc jockey on KBOO was asking for donations and promising if people donated that they would never play Stairway to Heaven again. (laughs) Robert Plant was in a rental car driving to the Oregon coast... He's flipping the station. He hears K-Boo promising to never play Stairway to Heaven again. And he loved it so much, he called in and donated $10,000. I guess I would just say, Mick Jagger, if you're listening, we'll never play uh, Tumbling Dice. I mean, we're happy to never play any song for $10,000. Yeah. Jamie, you did very well at that quiz. That's amazing. Um, You really know your word counts. Nice job. And great job on the book, too. It's called All This Could Be Yours. It's by Jamie Attenberg. Thank you so much.
That was Jamie Attenberg here on the Livewire House Party. Uh, her latest book is All This Could Be Yours. I'm Luke Burbank here with Elena Passarello. We have to take a very quick break, but stay with us because when we come back, we are going to hear a song from Federale that you're not going to want to miss. Stick around. Special thanks this episode to Nancy Adair of Scottsdale, Arizona, and Caitlin Donovan of Portland, Oregon. Nancy and Caitlin are part of the Livewire member community, and they have been generously supporting us with a donation each month. We are very thankful for that support because it's genuinely what helps us be able to actually do this show. So a huge thanks to Nancy and Caitlin from all of us at Livewire. Livewire is thrilled to be partnering with Portland's own Portal Tea this season. Formerly known as Tea Chai Tay, Portal Tea is the premier tea company in the Pacific Northwest. They make one-of-a-kind handcrafted tea blends like cinnamon churro chai and blueberry cream Earl Grey. Use the code LIVEWIRE, all lowercase, for 20% off at portaltea.co. Welcome back to the Live Warehouse Party. I'm your host, Luke Burbank, here with Elena Passarello. Uh, we're talking about family on the show this week, and I think you could think of our musical guests this hour as a kind of a family. They're a seven-person ensemble. They're from Portland, Oregon, uh, and they started playing together as a way of channeling the sort of vibe of like 60s and 70s European film soundtracks, particularly uh, soundtracks from Italy, which I happen to love, R.I.P., uh, Ennio Morricone. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Right? Just lost This him. is kind of, if you're in into that vibe of music, this is, you're going to really like what you're about to hear. Uh, they play under the name Federale, and we had them on Livewire back in November of 2019. They were promoting their fifth album, which is titled No Justice. So take a listen to this. It's Federale on Livewire.
Their latest album, No Justice, is out now. That was Federale, recorded back in November of 2019 at the Alberta Rose Theater. Oh, it sounds so good. I know. It makes me want to be in a movie. 
Yeah, I want to like walk across like a long, desolate horizon. <laughs> and that brings us to the end of our show. Elena, it's been another fun hour getting to hang out with you, my friend. Yeah, it's like our own little club, our own little Zoom club. <laughs> and way of talking to our families. That's right. Um, a huge thanks to our guests who are like family to us, Jamie Attenberg, James Kim, and Federale. Livewire is brought to you in part by Foley Alaska Airlines and the Jupiter Hotel. Laura Haddon is our executive producer. Heather D. Michelle is our executive director. Tim Harkins is our production director. Our producer and editor is Melanie Sevchenko. Amy McCormick is our development director. And Ariana Donneville is our marketing associate. Caitlin Kunkel is our writer. Our house band is Sam Tucker, Ethan Fox Tucker, and A. Walker Spring, who also composed our music. Molly Pettit is our technical director and mixed this episode along with Corey Schreppel. And our house sound is by D. Neil Blake. Additional funding provided by the James F. and Marion L. Miller Foundation. Livewire was created by Robin Tenenbaum and Kate Sokoloff. Our show is made possible by the generous support of our members. This week, we would like to thank member Lisa Brown of Gladstone, Oregon. For more information about our show or how you can listen to our podcast, head on over to livewireradio.org. I'm Luke Burbank for Elena Passarello and the whole Livewire crew. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week. Livewire. When we first met, I was really shy. I had no idea we'd spend so much time together or that you'd be one to fill my heart with with joy and make me want to be a better person. Oh, I'm sorry. I didn't know you were here. I was busy reading a review from one of our many, many rapturously smitten listeners. Oh, wait. Actually, no. Sorry. This is from Elena. Anyway, the point is, uh, it would be really helpful if you wanted to leave us a review Feel free to say really nice things about us, and uh, we'll even read them now and then on the show. So you might hear your review of Livewire read on the program itself. Uh, Reviews help other people hear about the show, and then we can keep doing this for a long, long time because we love having this job. Uh, Thank you so much if you've left a review, and if you're about to leave a review, you can go ahead and do it right where you get the podcast.